Hi, I'm Libby Sharp and welcome to this episode of CM Conversations. Today, I sit down with Dr. Bill Bushley, Global Segment Director for the Case Market at Alchemy Cloud. For the past 12 years, he's worked in technology companies across specialty chemicals and manufacturing, and I can't wait to hear his insights. We'll touch upon the current R&D landscape and the challenges within it, the rise of digital tools and trends, and the impact of AI on key business factors. Here it is. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I think just to get us started, it'd be great if you could introduce the listeners today um, a little bit about you and and who you are and what it is that you do at at Alchemy. Absolutely. Thanks, Libby. My name is Bill Bushley, and I'm the segment director at Alchemy for the case segment. So that's coatings, adhesives, specialty chemicals, and elastomers. Um, For about the last 12 years, I've been working in manufacturing um, uh, across the electronic sector, automotive, uh, industrial chemicals. Um, I have some technical training um, in material science. Um, I did a bachelor's and a master's in that, and then uh, did a PhD in uh, chemical engineering at the University of Edinburgh. Um, And then uh, at Alchemy, my main responsibilities are ensuring that our customers in the case segment are successful with our software platform and, you know, updating the, the, the platform to provide the latest and greatest features. Fantastic. So we both operate in some way or another in that case market, like you just mentioned. And of course, you've been in the space a, a little bit longer than I have, 12 years, and I'm sure that you've seen it develop and, and change, well, so much in that time. So I think it would be great to explore these changes with you and the emerging trends that we're seeing in the industry, a key focus being digitalization, of course. So if you could kind of set the scene for me and give me a bit of an overview of what the, the current R&D landscape looks like, um, and yeah, some of the, the challenges within that. Totally. So, you know, as we think about an R&D or product development function at a chemicals company, you know, there's, there's two main uh, categories of work that they're trying to achieve. They're both strategic and important to the business, um, and they're going to have uh, aspects of development that are either defensive or, or, or offensive, where we're trying to, you know, capture more markets and growth. So on the defensive side, there are, you know, these things that are we've been doing for a very long time. You know, there's the idea of, you know, materials availability. So all of this stuff that happened with the supply chain crisis, we're done talking about that. But the work that needs to be done uh, is now the new normal where you need to, you know, think about your supply chain in a very strategic way, be able to make the products that you sell in order to react to that. Another thing like cost optimizations have constantly been done because, you know, everybody wants to improve margins and everyone wants to drive costs down. And there's always been a constant around, you know, the evolving regulatory landscape. We always want to be more sustainable. Companies always have to react to that. So these are, you know, categories of work that R&D teams are doing to improve their products in a defensive way. 
but there are also you know uh, areas where they can uh, be looking more in a green field in a more offensive capacity. Um, you know, sustainability movements are, are driving this. There are more reasons to buy more sustainable products. So we go about creating more sustainable products in our portfolio. And, you know, another one that's really exciting that I've kind of seen over the years is, you know, these companies are becoming much more aware of how their products are being used. They're really attempting to design for use and delight. And that can be as, you know, the end product, whether it's, you know, a paint coating or an adhesive, but it can also be, you know, an intermediate where, you know, we have a really technical criteria that makes it go easier into the manufacturing process. So there's a lot of really fascinating work there that is really helping to drive growth. As we think about these as the main things that they're trying to do, we can also talk about what the operational challenges that they might have. So there are the classic operational challenges of organizational silos, you know, things that like an R&D team doesn't communicate well with a sales team. It doesn't communicate well with a production team. These are classic and they exist in all, you know, companies. But, you know, more specific for the chemicals industry, you know, there's challenges of like inorganic company growth right? A lot of consolidation has happened over the last 10 or 20 years. And so you have these businesses that have multiple business units that kind of operate independently, even though they're all under the same logo. Um, you got multiple R&D teams. They're going to be separated by these units. They're going to be separated by geographies. And so they might be like working on the very same aspects of work, but they might not know it because they struggle to collaborate. Mm. So- mm. That's kind of the second challenge. And then maybe the third one is that, you know, as a, a business function, they don't really optimize for efficiency or they struggle to do so. And, you know, we've kind of talked about maybe why this is, but it's really because they have difficulty defining where their value is in the same terms as like what kind of other KPIs that other business functions will have. It's fairly straightforward for a sales function to define its KPIs and define its business value. Same thing for procurement or for production. For R&D, it can be a bit more difficult to, to do that kind of stuff. So these are kind of the three main challenges that they're kind of dealing with at the moment. Great. I mean, not much to go out there, is there? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really complex, but actually I think what you said there about the visibility and optimization, that's really where these kind of platforms are, are transforming the industry really, isn't it? Um, yeah. And when, when you simplify it like that, it's it can be optimized quite effectively. Yeah, I think the main challenge around optimization is, you know, the first basic building block. As we think about, you know, what happens in R&D, and all of this is kind of outlined in, in, in reports that, you know, kind of management experts have put out, people like McKenzie, like Accenture. Um, but the main challenge is when we talk about, I don't know, managing the efficacy of the R&D team, we think about, you know, the output as binary. Either we made the new product that sold or we didn't make the new product that sold. But that's not really a key performance indicator that you can use 
to you know drive efficiencies in your company. There are you know process focused KPIs. There are process focused tools like you know agile learning and lean methodologies, but a lot of R and D teams at the moment are struggling to you know use these KPIs, implement, and then drive their organization based on them. And when you haven't really realized that kind of first step, when you don't necessarily have these performance metrics, then it can be really challenging to advocate for investment, to advocate for new ways of doing things, to advocate for growth, because there isn't a clear performance benchmark. And so it can be difficult to identify potential improvements, you know, particularly in software um, that you know, can help both the process and the infrastructure. And so you don't really struggle to have a benchmark. And then it's really hard then to advocate for additional investments or improvements. And so a lot of R&D teams, even though they're doing very innovative work, are utilizing, you know, kind of outdated methods when it comes to technology. Sure. So maybe you could enlighten the listeners a little bit on what kind of software it is that you're advocating for in an R&D setting particularly within the case industry? Totally. So first of all, to level set, you know, digital integration and AI, these things that we talk about as the future, they necessitate software. And the R&D teams in the chemical industry have had software for, you know, around 30 years. It's a wide, if somewhat niche ecosystem. And it's these very specific point source software solutions. They've developed to solve particular problems, a stage gate project management software, an analytical testing ticket tracking software, a regulatory document generation, et cetera. And so while the exact purpose and performance of, of these different softwares vary, the point is you have this legacy solution that has one, all of these legacy solutions have one thing in common. They have data silos. So what that means is you have multiple pieces of software housing different specific pieces of information. And then as an R&D team, you typically fill in the gaps with spreadsheets and a shared drive, and then maybe a collaboration layer of software. That's, you know, emails flying back and forth or chat programs like Teams and Slack. And that's it. So as a result, you have these operational challenges you have these organizational silos that we talked about before. You have different teams that need to collaborate all, all around this critical data, like results of a material qualification trial that we're trying to do for a product launch. And the technology stack, the software you're using, ends up making the challenges worse, not better. So what is the type of software that we're advocating for? There's other options out there. There are tools that take a platform focus rather than an individual software focus. They're built around data integration. They're built to have AI tools embedded into the software to be used kind of in a streamlined way. And so these things can finally, you know, deliver the digital revolution that R&D labs have been promised for the last 30 years or whatever. And, you know, at Alchemy, I'm, for I'm fortunate to provide these kinds of solutions um, and work with global chemicals companies to achieve these kind of strategic goals, with this better collaboration and efficiency. 
whether it's like global cross-functional teams all working on the same platform for a single source of truth, or whether it's like looking at a specific KPI, like reducing the testing time and related costs when you're doing a, a you know a project, or you know just really streamlining sample testing and turnaround. So all of these metrics that we're thinking about in terms of efficiency, you know, that we know drive business growth, it's really uh, fulfilling to see teams utilizing this software platform to achieve these goals. Brilliant. And I know that you, well, last time we spoke, you mentioned that you had conducted a recent survey with R&D leaders in the space. Um, I was really keen to shed some light on that today and inform the listeners on what you what, what you actually found from that and the results of that survey. Totally. So we we, we ran a survey in anticipation of a like a local event that was had a great title. Right, the title was "Digitalizing the Lab of the Future," which is an awesome title. <laughs> so we we said, well, what what would the industry think? about this idea what are they most excited about you know and so we ran a survey it was you know a, a really nice split of people that would be considered like subject matter experts so these are like you know the literal t- people that are doing the innovating in the material development mm-hmm. and um, you know management you know teams that are managing r&d leaders so we had a really nice split there we had another nice split of you know predominantly people in the case space but then also ones in you know energy and, uh, you know, uh, 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 plastics and packaging and other industrial verticals. Sure. So it was a nice, um, you know, uh, even split. And then, you know, we asked them questions around what is most exciting for you in terms of, you know, technology that can help drive efficiency. And we did this, you know, earlier this year, we were in the middle of the chat GPT hype cycle. Right. And so we put a list out, you know, and then so there's, you know, AI was in there along with like predictive chemistry and modeling and all these really cool phrases. And then we put in a couple of other things that were more, I don't want to call them basic, but were, you know, infrastructure things, data integration, useful databases, et cetera. And we put them in the list, said rank your favorites. And the thing that was the most interesting was that, you know, AI for, for product development came in like fourth place, right? It was not first. It was not even close to first. The first was data integration. Wow. That's not a very exciting thing for, <laughs> you know, R&D people who are thinking about, you know, how ChatGPT can revolutionize their industry. It's not obvious that that would be the thing that would be the thing, the technology that would most no. drive their efficiency. No. So we had to sit there and we go, well, why is that? And, you know, as we kind of think about it, we all acknowledge that you can be excited about AI. We know that that is something that can drive efficiencies and be a game changer. But there's this concept of, you know, an infrastructure, a foundation that is needed in order to drive that kind of thing, in order to be able to harness this stuff. And so if you're looking at your current state and you're struggling to like, you know, locate a specific test result and a specific, you know, uh, I don't know, formulation, as you're digging through a shared drive, it can make AI seem pretty far away. And so, you know, I, I feel like there's this desire to take the next step, build this foundation, 
and adopt systems that can facilitate this really sophisticated data management and AI. Um, but that, that step needs to happen first. So that was kind of one of the main, you know, surprising factors we found. Yeah. The other one that we found was, you know, uh, so we found that one. And the other one was, are you happy with your current technology system? That was a question we asked. And, uh, you know, can it be improved was literally the question we asked. And it was a unanimous yes. So the state of affairs is that nobody is necessarily happy with what they're currently using. They want it to be better. Um, but there's also acknowledgement that where we might be a step away from, you know, full-blown use of AI in product development. Mm. No, that's really interesting that, you know, one of the most simple kind of solutions is the, the most sought after and maybe the thing that's most lacking um, when from an outsider, it, it might seem like the most simple way of, of integrating um, and promoting, I guess, visibility, like you say, and, and shared information across an organization. Um, I mean, you've I always, been, I always, sorry, go ahead. If, if you wouldn't mind, I, I've, I've always thought that a, an allegory here would be important. And we, we've talked about this one before, mm. but as we think about, um, you know, when you're interacting on social media, when you, uh, you know, uh, click, a, when you recommend a post or, or re-like it, that click of a button has a lot of very structured data associated with it. It has a complex workflow, a lot of software that's supporting that action. And that action is free. You know what I mean? There is no cost associated with gathering that data. And yet that data is treated very in a very valuable way. There's a lot of infrastructure around it to drive automated analytics. In contrast, the data that is the most expensive to generate is data in chemicals R&D, right? You have to do a tremendous amount of expensive work in order to generate this data set. Mm. And yet the way that it is treated, the way that it is managed currently, is uh, has not a lot of forethought doesn't have a lot of infrastructure around it. It can be buried on one computer in one in one on one unstructured spreadsheet, you know, and left there, mm -hmm. despite the fact that it took tens of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars to create. And so that's kind of the contrast. We need to close the gap there. We need the data that's generated that's expensive to have infrastructure and support uh, that is similar to this kind of very, uh, you know, uh, uh, low cost, high volume data. I mean, it's clear that this industry in particular, um, not not specifically case, but I think the chemicals market in general um, and advanced material space has been probably the slowest to kind of adopt these these trends um, and emerging trends across the space. You know, you mentioned about the chat GPT hype and how that that's such a huge thing why do you think this has taken the industry so long to kind of think okay we we really need to invest time resources and um you know put people on on this topic and change this for good yeah i think there's there's maybe two or three um reasons mm. 
we need to acknowledge that the technical challenge is actually pretty tough. You know, this is material science. There are a lot of like interactions that are happening at molecular and structural levels that all affect the, the end product that you make. So there's a lot of expertise around that that is inside of, you know, experts' heads. And, you know, creating a data architecture, a database, uh, and all of these things that are needed to enable AI to help, is, that's a significant challenge, mm. right? So, you know, we need to acknowledge kind of at first, you know, first up, that that's a challenge. It's not an insurmountable challenge. You know, it, it, it probably is on the similar level of complexity to like logistics. And yet somehow we are constantly using AI to make logistics go better. You can just look at the Amazon or FedEx truck outside. So there's a challenge there. I think the other one is, you know, you're predominantly working with R&D people. R&D people are inherently innovative. They are inherently, they love to work on new things. And so there is a, a, a tension of, you know, you have these super smart people that are working in chemistry and they say, oh, I'm going to home build a project for AI. And so, you know, you have this kind of set of people that, that want to maybe, uh, you know, dabble in the area of data science. Mm. And that can lead to, you know, uh, a, 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 not a desire to say, nah, nah, we're going to build our own rather than, you know, invest in some kind of a, you know, fit for purpose tool. So I think that's maybe the second uh, thing that is, you know, causing the challenge. And then, you know, again, the third that we kind of discussed before is the, 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 the concept of R&D teams are constantly underinvested in because you know, it's difficult to share their impact in the business because they don't necessarily have these KPIs and then they can't make the case to drive for efficiency. Sure. So sure. I think that's the struggle. Yeah. No, that makes a, a lot of sense now it's put into that context. Um, good. So we've obviously touched upon the emerging trends and their impact. Um, but what would you say and how would you describe these enhanced capabilities impacting key business factors? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, one of the benefits of everybody being exposed to generative AI, one of the benefits of the chat GPT hype cycle is it, it's getting people thinking, right? Everybody has an idea about how this new capability can be used, and the vast majority of those ideas are to be used to improve efficiency, to do automation, to do the same thing I was doing before, but faster. So that's great. That gets people into this mindset of, oh, uh, how efficient am I today, right? Thinking about how efficient I am today and how this thing can make me more efficient. So it's already elevating the mindset uh, of you know an R&D team to start thinking about this. So that's great. Now all of a sudden we're thinking about these metrics. Now all of a sudden maybe we are finding a KPI uh, or, you know, pulling it back up and looking at the trend of it or, you know, thinking about creating KPIs. Any one of these things from an awareness perspective is great. So that's lovely. But the other thing that um, I think people who are more comfortable with AI and, you know, the spectrum of people in R&D that are working on this can 
attest to this, there's another level of value that AI can bring specifically to experts who are doing things like product development. And I just saw an example of this yesterday. It was, it was a lovely video. And this is a, a person who is, um, he uh, works on a racing simulation game. It's an open source racing simulation game. He's been playing it for, I don't know, 15 years or something. He's an expert. And then he decided that he was going to uh, use AI to generate a, uh, you know, a bot that could beat him and that he couldn't beat. And so there's maybe two big takeaways from that. The first takeaway is, you know, as you're kind of, it was like a video that was you're watching. As you're watching the video, there was this beautiful, beautiful visualization that you can see of the AI trying to find its way through this like winding curve. And it's like this beautiful spectrum as it kind of widens out and tries to find things. And it looks like a, I don't know, a wave, like a fluid dynamics wave. It was incredible. So first of all, visualizations are really important when you're trying to explain AI to people. And I think that there's a lot of work that we can do in explaining how AI can help. Mm -hmm. But the second thing that happened at the end is after this AI bot was created and could beat him, uh, it turns out that the AI would do things that are unexpected, that he would never expect to do. So it's, you know, I don't know, drifting the back of its car in an unusual way that he would never do. And that's a mindset switch. And I've seen that, you know, this happened in this example. I think the most classic example would be in chess. So in chess, now AI is part of the professional's job. They will utilize it to, you know, look at the move that it will do. And it's assumed that this thing knows something I don't. And it actually evolves your thinking and how you play that game. So AI is now a co-pilot. It enhances your abilities. And I think this is the area where the breakthroughs can happen in materials development. And we've seen some early successes of that at Alchemy. So an example would be, uh, we had a, a, a team that was uh, working on, you know, developing a specific, you know, material. Um, and they had, they were basically stuck. They had run a bunch of different designs of experiments. They had gone through 300 different trials of doing this. Um, and they had never found the exact answer that they were looking for. They decided to, you know, utilize the embedded AI tools. They decided to let the AI try and dictate where we should uh, find the answer, run the DOE, use the recommended formulations, et cetera. And the ins and you know the success story is yes, the AI found the goal, right? But the how is really important. So in this example, what the AI did was acknowledge without any specific biases that there was an area of material combinations that had not been tested. The data set was imbalanced. And the AI goes and says, hey, I need some asset, I need some assessment over here. And that was where the answer was found. So all of a sudden, if you have this tool in your toolbox, you are then a uh, you know a materials development expert. You're a you know a, a, an R and D producer that now has an additional co-pilot tool that can assist you. Hey, it doesn't seem like you've looked over here, right? That might be because of an implicit bias. It might be just because you didn't know. But that's the kind of thing that can really uh, have an evolution effect that can go beyond the incremental changes that we've seen so much in the chemicals industry. That can be the big step change. Mm. It's this idea that now you have a technology 
rooted in statistics, rooted in AI. I get that. But you have a technology that can evolve your thinking when it comes to product development. So this is the real thing that you know gets people excited about this. It's not, you know, hey, I have a you know interpretive model that can find the center of the thing that I already know faster. Mm. We obviously want that. We need that. The bulk of the work is done there. But these kind of serendipitous breakthroughs, these are the things that can really, you know, drive competitive gains and better IP for our for our customers. Yeah, I was gonna just touch upon the by leveraging that and using that as a partner, um, it can really kind of boost your company and, and give your company a competitive advantage in what is a, a very competitive industry. Um, so yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, I'm just a bit conscious of time. Um, sure. I know that we could we could go on and on, but I think what is really good to kind of reflect on is what we've discussed, which is, of course, Alchemy's pivotal role and, and the role that you're playing as well in leveraging these tools across the industry and shedding light on, you know, what they can do to boost productivity, innovation, and allowing companies to lean on these tools. Because um, I know that it can be quite, a daunting thing for for companies and particularly for people that have been doing things in the same way for for such a long time um you know they can be quite stubborn to to change and, and resist change um so i think yeah shedding light on this is going to be great for people across the industry to to listen to and to you know boost confidence in in what ai and you know the software that alchemy are promoting and, and how it can positively impact their business um i mean is there anything else that that you want to add bill yeah i think that's a great summary i think if you had to think about the takeaways here you know the first takeaway is r&d has never been more pivotal in the chemicals business it is going to drive the next set of growth kind of as it has before, but it's gonna be an acknowledgement by the business as a whole that this in fact is what they need, right? Yes, R&D does drive our growth. Yes, we do need to invest in tools in it. Yes, one of those tools should be some kind of AI co-pilot. So you acknowledge those three things. And then once you do that, the path becomes clear. You gotta have a data infrastructure, you got to have a software that can handle all that. And then you have to have, you know, these AI tools that assist your team on top of it. These are not tools that are going to replace anybody's work. These are things that are going to assist your experts to be more innovative. I think that would be kind of the three main takeaways that I would think of here. Perfectly summarized. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks, Libby. This was awesome. It was great. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Dr. Bill Bushley, Global Segment Director for the Case Market at Alchemy Cloud. I'd like to thank Bill for his time and the unique insights he was able to provide on the topic. If you've been listening and have anything else to add, then please reach out and we can continue the conversation. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Libby Sharp.